This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Get a Casper mattress and get a great night's sleep. Try it for 100 nights risk-free. Go to casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn. Get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. Entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Buck Sexton here in for Glenn Beck today on the Glenn Beck program. Thank you so much for joining. So President Obama is president for a little while longer, and there are a lot of people who want to know how he will handle dealing with the Trump administration post-Obama's own presidency. Is he going to be somebody who tries to hold Trump to account, or is he going to pull more of a George W. Bush maneuver where he doesn't want to meddle in his successor's plans. Uh, Obama was in Peru over the weekend, uh, meeting with a bunch of world leaders, talking about trade deals, talking about all kinds of stuff. Uh, And he was asked specifically about whether he would weigh in on a Trump presidency right off the bat. Here's what our current president had to say about how he will perhaps criticize or not our next president. As an American citizen uh, who cares deeply about our country, if there are issues that have less to do with the specifics of some legislative proposal or battle, but go to core questions about our values and our ideals, Um, and if I think that uh, it's necessary or helpful for me to uh, defend those ideals, uh, then uh, I'll, I'll examine it when it comes. Once again, the, you know, the assumption is where the condescension comes in. Just as with the Hamilton actors making the assumption that they need to remind Mike Pence to defend their children and the planet, by the way. President Obama feels the need to say that he will only step in Basically, if Trump takes the dial to 11, if Trump just goes wild, man, if he just does some crazy stuff and casts off all respect and dignity and, I don't know, Trump, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Bad things happen because of Trump. Um, Can we wait until the guy gets into office before we freak out about everything? The sort of the collective hysteria from the collectivists, the left's constant uh, proclamations that they need to get ahead of the coming catastrophe is really, in a sense, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because no matter what Trump does, they're going to think that it's horrific because they've been told now ever since he won that it was going to be horrific. I've been saying from the beginning they're, they're so lucky that a, a, a hardline Republican uh, who's a, a, a bedrock 
foundational conservative didn't win, they're going to be able to get Trump to meet them halfway on a whole bunch of issues. It's much less frightening than they seem to think that it is. Part of them, I think, uh, or part of this is that they're upset that they no longer have a, uh, the ability, the sort of secret weapon of shutting down speech they don't like by making claims of racism or xenophobia or misogyny. The misogyny one has never worked well for them, by the way. The war on women, even, with Mitt Romney didn't work particularly well. Mitt Romney just wasn't going to beat Barack Obama in that election. But they have President Obama coming out here and speaking on the world stage saying that the door is open for him right after he leaves the White House to criticize the next occupant of the White House if things get really bad. Why do we have to, why do we have to get ahead of things here? Why is there the suggestion that things might get so terrible that President Obama would have to weigh in right away? I was wondering, I was, how hyperbolic can all of this get? How exaggerated can we expect this to become, uh, given that I've had to wade through already some protests in New York City? Guy's not even president yet, hasn't done anything yet, and there's all this uh, love Trump's hate stuff that's out there, and a lot of placards and signs and chants uh, that tend towards or are full of the profane, so I can't even repeat them on air. I was taking photos of them. I was listening to some of them. It's pretty nasty stuff out there. And there's no trace of irony with some of these protesters when they say things like, love Trump's hate, and then they start cursing at somebody who doesn't agree with them on a matter of policy. There have been some Trump supporters that have been attacked. There are actually people that wear Make America Great Again gear, and that has been a symbol of, or rather that has been a target on them, and they have been assaulted because of it. If the love Trumps all people are serious about making sure that Trump shows love and isn't this horrific dictator in waiting that they seem to think that he is, I think they should also avoid beating people up for speech. Just going to put that out there as an idea. I think it would probably be best if they didn't take the position that it's so important. They have so much love in their hearts. They're such kind people that if you don't understand that and agree with them, they're not going to punch you in the nose. Whoa. Settle down, everyone. This is not where things need to be. This is what I've been telling The Everyone from center left that's in this meltdown over Trump mode just needs to chill. But it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because, as you see, even with the transition, which you would think is a sort of boring, and I'll talk about some of the picks and what's coming and the policy. That'll be sort of more hour three today, I think. Although we'll get into maybe some of it coming up before then. Transition team picks should be a pretty straightforward process. Nothing to get anyone all that upset. You're looking at long-serving government officials. You're looking at people that are in many cases, already quite well-known to a vast majority of Americans. Trump is rewarding those who are loyal to him in the primary and the general, as I think any president would, and quite honestly should. Loyalty is important, especially given that he knows he's going to be in an embattled position from the very start. It's going to be a White House that is under siege. There's no question about that. So he's going to have to have loyalists around him to some degree. You all, he's also talking to Romney. He's also talking to people who are part of the Republican establishment. He's trying to build 
a team around him. He's trying to construct a framework for his administration that will be as effective as possible because he knows he's not going to get a Nobel Peace Prize before he's done anything. He's not going to have the media in his pocket saying that everything that he does is great and constantly patting him on the back and telling him how brilliant and wonderful he is. Quite the opposite. And he even has the additional added stress of Republicans who are deeply, uh, I should say, somewhat concerned. Deeply might be a bit strong, although some of you are probably deeply concerned. Republicans will be holding him to account as well. There really are no barriers or roadblocks except for Trump's ability, the ability of his administration, and the administration's will to get things done, to keep promises, to keep that compact with the voters that came out and said, enough is enough, no more. We want change in D.C. We don't want this to continue as is. We expect promises to be kept, and we expect follow-through on the major issues that push the Trump campaign forward. He's either going to do that or he's not. And if he's not, not only is he going to have the media howling about racism, oh, it's all so racist, he's so racist. He has this... You know, he's surround himself with an anti-Semitic or, or has rather put in place an anti-Semitic advisor. And they go, what, what, why is he anti-Semitic? Oh, shut up. You're anti-Semitic, too. Wait a second. What? His son-in-law is Jewish. His daughter converted to Judaism, but he's an anti-Semitic. Why is he an anti-Semitic? Oh, because he has. They just want to yell and scream, let the accusations fly. But he doesn't even have the certainty of support from his own side. He's going to have to execute. He's going to have to get it done or else there's going to be a political revolt from within the Republican Party. And I'll be the one to say it. I'm sure others have said it, too. Don't think for one second that those who were opposed to Trump from within the GOP, I mean, really opposed. I mean, never Trump. There was a term for it. They're willing to give him a chance. Many of them, I should say, willing to give him a chance, willing to see how this goes. But if this administration turns into a belly flop in the shallow end of the pool, there will not be much mercy from those who told all or were telling us all along that they thought that's what would happen. And the administration has to know that and Trump has to know that. So rather than focus so much on every little issue and pretend that somehow if we just hold the microscope over every single thing that Trump's doing, I'm seeing people that are upset because his, and when I mean people, I'm a journalist and they've got platforms and oh, they're so important and they're so few people more overpaid, pampered, and and self-important for no reason than sort of upper echelon television journalists. I'm just I'm just saying. Uh, they're upset because Barron, one of his children, uh, by Mel- his ch- ch- a child of uh, the marriage with Melania Trump and Melania, may not move to D.C. right away. Who cares? What what difference at this point does that make to anyone? Who cares? Why is that an issue? So he wants to stay in New York instead of D.C. Got to tell you, D.C., the fact that it's currently, I think, three of the surrounding counties to D.C. are in the top ten wealthiest counties in the entire country. That's not something to be celebrated. Being close to the federal trough for all of those who are just trying to get their cut, trying to get as much as they can, that's something that we should be concerned about. That's something that should stop. But... They are trying already to hobble the administration before it has even taken office. And President Obama is part of this process of making sure that there's no, and this is the term they use, 
normalization of Trump. You see, there was this whole period during the general election where journalists decided, okay, journalist hat gone, now I'm going to put on my advocacy hat, which is not nearly as cool looking as a Make America Great Again hat, let's be honest. It is very catchy. But they said that was okay because this was different. These were dire circumstances. This wasn't McCain or Romney, whom they told us were monsters, by the way, back in the day. Now they're saying, oh yeah, great public servants, good people, shouldn't worry about it. Well, which is it? Sarah Palin was a threat to the Republic. Seems like a nice lady. Threat to the Republic. But now they, they, they cried wolf. And there was a very important article, which I, I've uh, mentioned on my show on the Blaze Radio before, um, about crying wolf again. They are crying wolf again because they've cried wolf in the past. Uh, this is how the left does things. But Obama is part of the effort to prevent a normalization of Trump because they don't want to be in a position where the media treats this like an administration that will be judged on the merits, judged on the results. They want to judge it based on the rhetoric and the tone and the previous moments in the campaign that upset them and the things that Trump said that bothered them. And that's all that that is the lens through which everything else will be seen. They don't want to talk about taxes. They don't want to talk about securing the borders, dealing with ISIS, any of that stuff. And that will come. But for right now, it's just a question of making sure that all good journalists have their marching orders. The marching orders are, we will defame and destroy this administration no matter what. No matter how moderate, no matter how hardline, doesn't matter. It's Trump. He beat Hillary. She was our chosen one. And now we have to take this administration down. And yeah, Obama didn't go to that extent. I can tell we're going to take you into what the left is thinking about a Trump administration when we come back after the break. But he left the door open to, at key moments, come in and say, Trump is beyond the pale. And that will be the sort of signal put up in the sky to all of the media, everybody else, pounce, go, get him. Now you have to bring down this administration. It'll happen. It's just a question of how soon into the administration it happens. 888-727-BECK, Buck Sexton and for Glenn. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. The key to having a great day starts with having a great night's sleep. And I know because I have a Casper mattress. The Casper mattress was invented with two high-tech foams that give you all of the support that you need and guarantee that you get the best night's sleep ever. Time Magazine named Casper Mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds the actual mattress, making it simple to get from your front door to your bedroom. And you try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll come and pick it up if you don't love it as much as I love mine, and they'll refund every single dime. Once you try it, you're never going to want to sleep on anything else. Having a great day by having a great night's sleep. Casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn. $50 off the purchase of your mattress at Casper.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. Don't forget, $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. Yes. 
the Glenn Beck Program. Buck Sexton here in for Glenn today. Thank you so much for joining and, uh, and hanging out. I appreciate it. Um, we have a call in from James in Virginia. We're going to take it. What's up, James? Hey, Buck. I want to say thank you for taking my uh, call today. And I just want to commend you on what you were saying about the media. As a conservative, we all recognize what the media has been doing over the past year whether it was Romney, whether it was McCain, whoever, that the intent is to vilify and demonize the right. My problem is I was a longtime listener to the Glenn Breck program, and I was a big-time supporter of the Glenn Breck program. But it seems like, thank you, but it seems like when Trump got the nomination over top of Ted Cruz and over top of the other people, it seems like Glenn Beck did exactly what you're saying that the media is now doing to Trump. Now, correct me if I'm wrong on that or can we have that type of disagreement or uh, understanding that that's the same thing that Glenn Beck was doing to Trump during the uh, general election process or primary process? Well, you, you have to understand first, James, that this is Glenn's show and I'm his guest host and also employee. Uh, so I, I never speak for Glenn, uh, nor would I ever um, seek to speak for Glenn. Uh, as to the way things went in the primary, I think people had very serious concerns. Look, my biggest concern, uh, this is, now it's like I'm on a college campus and I'm dealing with the social justice. Where I'm going to speak from the I perspective. That's what we used to say when I was at Amherst. You did, hey, Buck, can you speak from the I perspective? Yes, I can. Uh, my sense of it is this. There were people who were deeply concerned about Trump's principles and whether he would uh, be, or whether he had any principles that were conservative to start with. Um, and then there were people who were deeply concerned about whether he could win. Uh, my biggest concern once you know we got deep enough into the primary was Kenny win, and he did. So I was wrong on that in the sense that I didn't think he could win. I voted for him. I supported him uh, once he became the nominee. Uh, but I, I can't fault those who have dedicated their careers and, 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 and in some cases decades of their lives to supporting a limited government constitutional uh, approach for all politicians, for all Americans to support. So I, I understand that passions were very high. I, I, don't, I, I think that the, the vilification that's been done of Trump in the media in general uh, was not intended just to make him lose the presidency. And I, I think this is an important distinction. It wasn't just so that Trump wouldn't win. It was so that anybody who was thinking about supporting him or who was supporting him uh, would feel bad about themselves, would feel like they should be shunned, would feel dirty, would feel unclean. Uh, that's going well beyond, first of all, what, what anybody should do based on anyone's support for a- any political candidate in this country. Um, there, we, we did not have uh, a, a, a fascist totalitarian running for either, for, on either side of the aisle, and, and we should be clear about that. Uh, we did have a criminal running on one side, I think. I think that Hillary Clinton did break the law repeatedly many times over, and I think that she's going to get away with it. I also think that Donald Trump pardoning... And James, I know I'm kind of getting off topic for a second here, but it's an interesting question. Um, Donald Trump pardoning Hillary Clinton when he comes into office would be a f- fascinating and I think very savvy political move. I know people would get very upset, but it would mean that forevermore people could say that she had to be pardoned. She can't not accept the pardon. It would make Trump look magnanimous and in a lot of ways, I think, would do more long-term damage to the credibility of the Democratic Party 
than a full-fledged investigation of Hillary Clinton. Keep in mind that the crimes that she committed, generally speaking, she would take a plea deal for them and unlikely she would spend any time in prison. Look at uh, the situation with Petraeus. Although, some people disagree with me on that. Okay. Um, but, you know, but I... I so all right. What I to, and what go ahead, James. We've got about 20 seconds, and we've got to go to a break. Well, thank you for sharing that, and I do appreciate you bringing that up. And I just, I'm not a big Trump supporter. I've never been on top of Trump as the greatest, greatest thing. I don't expect him to do anything except the uh, Supreme Court justice. And I just think that right now we see what the left are. We know who they are. We need to stand up and we need to fight against them as aggressive. The great, James, the greatest advertisement right now for the reluctant Trump voter is the reaction of leftists across the country after Trump won. Great to have you on, James. Buck Sexton and for Glenn, much more coming. The Glenn Beck Program. Seven two seven back. This is the Glenn Beck program. Buck Sexton in for Glenn today on the Glenn Beck program. Look, the media is actively encouraging people to panic, <laughs> so that's you have to keep that in mind. The media really does want people to go into the new year thinking that if Donald Trump is allowed to do what he's allowed to do as president. We are going to be, what is it, Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome or one of those dystopian uh, dystopian futures. Not Waterworld. That movie was bad, but one of the other ones. Um, so it's gotten to the point where there are pieces that are written in highbrow journals of opinion, or at least they, they think of themselves as highbrow. I think of themselves usually as... As, as a bit crap, but they're, they're not great. Um, there's a piece in the New York Review of Books, and this one really just caught my eye because of all the, all the implications, right? They, they have to insinuate that things are going to get so bad that it's all going to fall apart and the country is no longer going to be the country you think you're living in and it's all going to fall apart and be horrible. A piece called Autocracy, Rules for Survival. So see, we're already at that point where we have so little faith, if you believe this line from the left, we have so little faith in the institutions of American government that the mere election of Donald Trump is going to just, he's going to run roughshod over all this stuff. That doesn't matter anymore. That the Congress, the House, Supreme Court, Schmupreme Court, you know, whatever, who cares? That didn't really work as I meant, but you know what I mean. Uh, it's not going to work out. It's all going to be a giant disaster so you need to have rules for survival. Now, I know they're going to say that this is just a catchy headline, which catchy headlines sometimes mean that people get a little beyond their meaning in the actual piece. And I read it, so guilty. I sat here and I was like, I want to read the rules for survival under a Trump. Autocracy, because Trump will be an autocrat, they say. And then there's this rules for survival issue. Uh, here's what the rules for survival are. Let's go through them for a second. And, and you can tell me how worried you are. Rule number one. This is a piece written by Masha Gessen. Never heard of Masha, but here we go. 
believe the autocrat. He means what he says. Okay. A lot of you are probably thinking, I hope so. What, what has Trump said that is, so ter- that is so terrifying to people that now see the cabinet that's forming uh, or that he's forming? And uh, what is the, the huge concern that he's going to enforce immigration law? That is what federal law currently says, that, it, that people who are here illegal aren't supposed to be. That's why they're illegal. I'm trying to think of what the terrifying, that there's going to be a lower corporate tax rate, that he wants to spend a trillion dollars on infrastructure, which, I'll be honest with you, sounds pretty Democrat-like to me. I mean, it sounds like something that a lot of progressive Democrats could get behind, but Trump says he'll do a great job with it. We are $20 trillion-ish in debt. Probably not a great idea to add a whole lot more to that, but look what George W. did. Republicans have not been fantastic on this in the past. Doesn't mean that we should excuse it now, but let's not pretend that Trump would be the first big spending, big government Republican to be in office. But believe the autocrat. That's rule number one. For survival, you have to remember these things. Okay. Why, why is that an issue? Yeah, well, believe him. He's going to make America great again. He doesn't say he's going to make America stink again. He's got some ideas. He's got some things in mind. He's trying to push for some policies that he thinks will be better. He's going to have to, you know, the other part of this too, and and, and I think this needs to be said. Democrats do the whole hero worship thing with politicians, right? Hillary Clinton wasn't just, well, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here, so I don't want to be ungallant on air. Uh, For them, I won't think about, I won't say what I think, Hillary Clinton, for them, was more than just a politician. She was a symbol. She was larger than life. She was representative of their aspirations. And even more importantly for Democrats, because of the emotionalism that rules their political mindset, she was a symbol of who each and every Democrat is, right? A vote for Hillary is a vote for, I'm smart, I'm thoughtful, I like people, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, yada, yada. That's, it's about how it made the individual who supported Hillary feel about himself or herself. That's a big part of it, right? That's why there's sort of, you couldn't say it's really a cult of personality because, Hillary, it's not that exciting. But you could say that it is a cult of Hillary and everything that is around her. And certainly with Obama, we saw, oh my gosh, they love Obama so much. He's so incredible. He's more than a politician. He's more than a symbol. He's... For a lot on the left, he was sort of a quasi-messiah. It was creepy. It really was. It wasn't okay. We don't do that on the right, or at least we shouldn't. I don't. I bet almost all of you listening don't. Uh, But we think of the people that we elevate into high office as fellow citizens that are given powers and responsibilities for specific ends, and we hold them to account. And we have expectations of what they can accomplish based upon what they have said they will do. And then we judge them and we look at their performance and we decide whether to keep them in office again or not. And this is how the system is supposed to work. But it's not that we all sort of pull the North Korea here and look at portraits of our leaders and praise them and talk about how wonderful they are and how fantastic. And I'll be honest with you, I used to work in the federal government and sometimes you go into some of these offices and they have the current you know, administration, they have big framed photos of them up, just sort of up to be up. It's like, we all know who we work for. I don't think, and whether it was Bush or Obama, and I worked under both, uh, I don't think we need the reminder, you know, the sort of the big 
framed photo in the office just there in case you forget who the POTUS is and the V POTUS. So, um, but we don't do the elevation of these people into sort of deity status because that's inherently unconservative, non-conservative. We also are the people that constantly complain about government being uh, too large, too strong, doing too much, too intrusive. Do, does the left really think that we will just go along with a Trump administration that would trample on all individual rights? They think we'd go along. I know some people say, Buck, that's going to happen. You, you just don't see it coming. It's going to happen. I don't know. I can't see the future. But I know that I wouldn't go along with that. You see, a limited government philosophy applies to whomever would be the commander-in-chief. So it's not like I change based on who the president is. What you see on the left is Obama, lots of power, great. Trump, lots of power, terrible. No, I want less power in Obama's hands. I want less power in Trump's hands. Conservatism wants less power in the hands of the executive branch. And... I don't think that has changed. I don't think that will change. Uh, We are the people, we being conservatives, we being the conservative wing of the Republican Party. It's not really a wing. I'd like to think it's the beating heart, but these days it's, I don't know, you tell me. Uh, We look at what happens and we look at the uh, way that government conducts itself and we put it in that framework. Is this constitutional? Is this within the scope, within the bounds of the duties of this office. And that's not going to change because there's Trump. And we organize, we've had big midterm elections that have been rebukes to the government, have been rebukes to the government on both sides of the aisle. And I just think that these fears that somehow Trump is going to be able to get away with everything, no. It's not going to get it. It's one thing to vote for him because you want him to defeat Hillary. And it's one thing to vote for him because you want a slap at the elites in D.C. doesn't mean that you want to be like Trump's puppet and go along with all this stuff. So taking a wait-and-see approach to his administration is not to say that we're going to lie down and let him do whatever because he's the Republican, he's the Republican, um, not just nominee, now the Republican president-elect. It just means let's all take a breath, take a beat, remember what we believe in, what our principles are, And just know that there are some people around Trump, I think, now, and there are some people he's bringing to the administration who are responsible, who are technocrats in one way or another, and it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. I promise. 888-727-BECK. Buck in for Glenn. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. Buck Sexton in for Glenn today. You can uh, follow me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash buck sexton. Also go to theblaze.com slash buck dash sexton. Um, uh, Donations to the Clinton Foundation. Let's talk about that for a second just because it'll be kind of fun. A lot of us were thinking during the uh, whole election that 
it was so, so obvious. It was so obvious that the Clinton Foundation was the front of a charity, but you know, that was the front of the house, but the rest of it was really a giant slush fund run Clinton for the Clinton brand to pay Clinton cronies as a, a means of creating a sort of giant side, uh, you know, side business of these Clinton speeches that are all tied into foundation donors. A New York Post here has that the donations to the Clinton Foundation fell by 37 percent uh, in 2014 before Hillary announced from 108 million uh, down from 172 million. So that happened as Hillary Clinton left the nonprofit in April 2015 and then went on with her candidacy, which, as we know, did not work. Uh, but also revenue the Clintons brought in from speeches went from 357,500 down from 3.6 million. So there are some drop offs. But now people would say, well, Buck, look, see, she was running for office and they didn't want there to be conflicts of interest. Well, why would. Why would the money for the foundation start to go down at that point in time unless, well, they were concerned that it would look bad so close to it? Remember, they said they were going to stop taking, at a certain point, they were going to stop taking foreign donations to the Clinton Foundation, which, why stop if it was always okay? You can't have it both ways. The real, uh, the rubber meets the road on this one. You'll really have something to talk about, and we'll have something to talk about when we see what the sort of fiscal, what would it be, 50, fiscal uh, twenty. 16 looks like for the Clinton Foundation and for speeches given by the Clintons. Because if all of a sudden Bill's like giving you like 50%, you know, it's like you can get two for one, you fly me out to wherever. I mean, you know, Pyongyang, I'm here for you. Uh, if it's a two for one situation with, with Bill Clinton's speeches and Hillary's speeches, if they drop 50% in value or even more, won't we all know then? I mean, we already know, but won't that be proof to anybody who is of reasonable, sound mind on these issues? Won't that be proof that this was all a giant scam all along? Won't we then know that you don't leave the presidency as Bill Clinton did, and then all of a sudden your speeches get dramatically more valuable as your wife becomes Secretary of State just because... Just because. Quite a coincidence, isn't it? That people were so much more interested and showed that interest with wads of cash. Quite a coincidence that they were able to amass a fortune through giving speeches of over $100 million, some estimate $150 million. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money without offering a product. And if all of a sudden those speeches are much, they're not going to be zero. There are still going to be corporations that will pay Hillary Clinton. So, But you'll see, I think, I'll make a little prediction here, it will fall in line with what other former heads of state make, which is still a crazy amount of money for some of these places. But you're not going to get $800,000 a speech as Bill did. I mean, it was a really good speech. Uh, you're going to get more like 100 or 150, which to you and me is like, this is amazing. I, you know, I, I give a speech or two a year and call it a day, spend the rest of the time on the beach. Uh, but that would show, wouldn't it? That would prove what we alleged all along. We will see now 
The market will speak, in a sense, because what the market was rewarding before was not how brilliant Hillary and Bill Clinton were. It was rewarding this scheme they had created, which was really just a giant highway, an avenue of access to the most powerful corridors of government via the Clinton Foundation as the alibi for all this cash flowing through. It muddied the waters. It made it more difficult. It made it seem like... What was going on here was creating a better world for all of us, when in reality, it was creating a vast empire of patronage and of self-enrichment for Hillary, Bill Clinton, and the whole Clinton, uh, the whole Clinton family. I don't want to lose sight of that because I think that given this election, given that so many of us were wrong about who was going to win and where all of this was going... I think it's fair for you and for me to look at what happens with the Clinton Foundation and say, at least we saw that for what it was. Because I would be willing to make quite a bet that you will see a marked drop-off in vast donations to the Clinton Foundation from certain individuals. There'll still be money coming in. It still does some charity. I get it. But it'll drop real fast. But the speeches... I want to know when the next Bill Clinton $800,000 30-minute engagement is. I want to see when that happens. Uh, I think they may even decide they're not going to give speeches for money, period, because it would be so obvious that once they start giving these speeches, the price drops dramatically. They were really running a huge scam selling the Secretary of State's office. What a surprise.